This is the Everyday AI Show, the everyday podcast where we simplify AI and bring its power to your fingertips. Listen daily for practical advice to boost your career, business, and everyday life. When you create content on the internet, who should own it? Who should have access to it? Um, We're going to talk about that and a lot more and even just uh, e-commerce and AI uh, in general. But I'm extremely excited for today's episode. As a former journalist and as someone that's been producing content for 20 years and now that talks about AI every day, I think about this a lot. You know, should should we be protecting our content? Who owns it? Um, you, you know, will just bots be um, creating content regurgitated 10 times over? I don't know. So uh, my name's Jordan Wilson. Welcome to Everyday AI. This is a daily live stream podcast and we have a free daily newsletter helping everyday people understand and use AI. So Today's topic is a big one, just talking about different legal regulations when it comes to AI. Uh, we have a guest who is extremely qualified to talk about this, uh, so we're, we're excited about that. But before we get started, as a reminder, if you are joining us live, number one, thank you. Let me know, where are you joining us from? Where are you joining? Um, I'd like to see this. You know, Yesterday, I think we had people from uh, 10, 10, plus con- uh, 10 plus countries chime in, and I'm asking that because our guest is joining us from the West Coast, bright and early, 5.30 a.m., um, if you're on the podcast, don't worry. Check your show notes. Um, a lot of great resources there, and you can uh, click and come join this conversation. We're going to be talking uh, about this in the comments on LinkedIn, but let's get started with some AI news. So first story, there is a battle brewing um, around NVIDIA chips and who gets access to them and who doesn't. We talked to this before on the show, but NVIDIA chips, their GPUs essentially power this generative AI movement. So a recent story is uh, showing that now NVIDIA must obtain the uh, approval from the U.S. government before exporting its highest performing chips to certain buyers in the Middle East. The end goal purportedly uh, is to stop these high-powered GPU chips that power generative AI from ending up in China. Uh, so kind of like a workaround. Um, so, so looking at some of these countries in the Middle East. Uh, next, uh, ChatGPT competitor just launched in China. So we talked about this a couple of months ago when it was first announced, but the chatbot Ernie, Ernie bot um, is now available globally and it can understand both Chinese and English. So this is from uh, two Chinese tech giants, uh, Beidou and SenseTime. um, And they essentially just launched their ChatGPT style bot to the public today. And it uh, can allow users to do everything from summarize documents, get medical advice, create videos, um, you know, what you would normally expect or want out of an AI chatbot. And of course, ChatGPT being blocked in China, uh, this is kind of kind of big news because, uh, you know, we kind of just talk about, you know, a handful of large language models for the most part, ChatGPT, Google Bard, Anthropic Cloud, uh, Microsoft Bing Chat. But, you know, we might be talking a little bit about EnerneeBot now in the future. Last but not least, and a very relevant story for today. Um, an AI copyright battle is getting messier. So uh, we've covered this on the show a couple of times, but now uh, the inventor of an AI image, uh, an AI generating image uh, platform called Creativity Machine, he has lost uh, a court case um, that essentially said he cannot copyright his images. But now um, Stephen Thaler is uh, trying to prove that his bot is sentient. And uh, it can have its own independent thought 
Therefore, um, it cannot be copywritten. Messy. It's messy. So speaking of legal messes, uh, we have a great guest today. So as I bring him on, uh, very excited to welcome to the show, uh, Neil Peretz, the head of legal for WooCommerce, joining us from the West Coast. Neil, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. In the background, I'm uh, rereading the recent uh, Thaler decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, gosh, we I, I could just talk about that for uh, probably an hour plus and all these different things. But uh, real, real quick, Neil, you know, and if you're not sure, uh, Neil serving as the head of legal for WooCommerce, uh, parent company, Automatic. So if, if you use WordPress, I think we said what, Neil, uh, WordPress powers like almost half of the entire internet by now, right? And WooCommerce actually and- powers uh, 23 plus percent of all the online stores. Wow. Wow. So um, Neil has a great perspective, but real quick, Neil, just, I mean, because aside from from your current role serving as head is legal for WooCommerce, you have a pretty extensive background in just building and growing AI companies. Talk a little bit uh, about that and in, in your experience. Um, sure. And to be clear, it's not all generative AI, which is probably more <laughs> so the topic today. Um, and that gets people excited. Um, I think the AI that I worked on at the other companies is probably far less publicly accessible. Yeah. Uh, one company was, um, it's called Aaliyah Financial Technologies, and it was one of the first ones to use artificial intelligence, which we, we called machine learning, was sort of a subcategory of AI, um, to underwrite credit for consumers. Mm. And the goal was, hey, can we figure out a more precise method of determining who might actually be able to repay uh, without blowing themselves up um, and without missing payments uh, in the context of consumer credit. And if you, if you could better assess this, you could offer credit to more people there because there are a lot of people out there. Our hypothesis was that they're um, not well represented uh, in terms of their reality by the data that might be going into the credit bureaus, which then fed into FICO mm-hmm. and you know, People always ask, what's your FICO score? Um, we came up with an ALEA score that uh, proved to be much more accurate. And we would be, we were often able to find people who were not well-valued by FICO, but uh, based on our analysis, actually could and would repay mm. um, various forms of credit. And they needed credit. And they were being turned down for it. And so we partnered with, among, other, among others, uh, PNC Bank. And we put out billions of dollars in credit uh, to people that, again, FICO would rate lower and these people had great performance actually um so our algorithms did work but of course there was a lot of uh a lot of data sources put in and a lot of tuning of our models so i had to go around and meet with all the bank regulators and try to explain to them why uh, they shouldn't be afraid that we we're involving basically ai in our in our credit underwriting process because there are laws that try to protect against discrimination for example in providing credit and they thought well AI, maybe there's all sorts of secret discrimination that goes on there. So on the public policy side, the interesting aspect of that role uh, was trying to get others in the regulatory, basically, uh, community, Mm -hmm. which could include regulatory folks working at the banks, comfortable with the application of AI, which already was proving that it was yielding a better performance. Right. And, and, you know, you bring up some interesting points that, um, you know, there is a big difference, I think, even between this kind of recent 
generative AI boom um, and kind of the more, more quote unquote traditional AI that a lot of us don't even know, but we've been probably benefiting from it for many oh, decades, yeah. you know, but uh, so I know a lot of even our audience, Neil, is, is building generative AI products right now. Given, given your background, um, kind of what was your biggest surprise in, in building an AI company? Um, so the, the company I mentioned uh, a moment ago, Leah is a fintech company. I was not the uh, co-founder of the company. Um, I was a senior executive at the company, but I didn't, I didn't start it. And I wasn't really driving as much of the product efforts. I was more so on the legal side trying to figure out how do we make this all legally compliant? Um, after Aliyah, I went and started a company called Contract Wrangler. Mm-hmm. And that, I was the founder and the, the CEO of the company for quite some time as well. Um, and there, the goal was, hey, uh, can I use you know, what we call AI generally in what we call specifically machine learning to read legal contracts mm-hmm. and find all the key terms in those and alert people? Because what I noticed working in-house as a lawyer was, a lot of times people negotiate very heavily on a contract and both sides chime in. You could spend weeks, maybe months fighting about various terms. And then when people are all done, what happens? The contract ends up like in a file cabinet or Dropbox or box or the F drive. And that's it. They're on the very way and they're off to the next thing. And the reality of what happens when you sign a contract is that's when the contract begins, not when mm-hmm. it ends. Somehow mm-hmm. they thought the, Signing the contract was the end. We're all done. There's no work to be done when it's the opposite of that. The contract is actually designed. So people will take on certain responsibilities and people have certain rights. And if you don't know your rights or you forget about your responsibilities, you get in trouble. And A simple one that uh, comes up for many of us as consumers is auto renewals. Hey, stuff renews when you didn't want it to. You know, maybe you wanted to change. Think about some of the consumer services you might subscribe to, cable TV, cell phone. If you just noted when something was going to end an auto renew and you called up the provider and said, hey, I noticed the terms coming up soon. I'm thinking about switching. Oh, we got a bargain for you, right? You'll get better prices. Oh, that's the worst. It's It's the worst. It's the simplest thing. So then the question is, okay, could I make a machine that goes and figures out some of these key terms and characteristics of the contracts and then notifies the right person and says, hey, you have, a, we'll call it an opportunity or a responsibility here um, because they get essentially it was free money just by calling up and, and acknowledging that there's a renewal coming up maybe and asking for a price change or getting other bids. And there's mm-hmm. lots of other things you'd want to go find a contract. Um, interestingly, when you discuss contracts with non-lawyers, they'll say to you, yeah, I get it why contracts are important, but really only three or four sections are important. And this is a widely held sentiment. The part where they differ is they all disagree on which of the three or four sections because everyone's got their own categories that they're very interested in. If you talk to the IT guys, they'll say, oh, all that matters is the uptime requirement. Yeah. <laughs> if you talk to the finance people, they'll say, well, all that matters is uh, you know when I get paid, and uh, do I have any uh, significant liabilities where I'm going to indemnify someone else? Or maybe the mm-hmm. lawyers would go ask about that. What, what, what kind of warranty is included or not included with this kind of thing? Um, yep. And the salespeople want to know, well, you know, when is it going to renew? Uh, so I'd go call them up and sell them some more stuff. Um, finance might want to know which of our contracts allow us to raise the support price every year as, as prices go up, as we're seeing now in an inflationary environment. So the goal was build a machine that can go figure all this out. 
And uh, auto renewals is a simpler one for us to us consumers to understand. We, we actually do get indemnification and other clauses shoved in our consumer contracts, but the reality is we have less bargaining power to do something about it. Right. Um, yeah, so, so one thing, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, Neil, and, and, and I heard you say it there. So you said, uh, you know, talking a little bit about your background and contract, but saying, you know, if you don't know, you said, if you don't know your rights and responsibilities, you're in trouble. Um, and that got me thinking to where a lot of things are at currently. And this is, this is a big topic, but I've got I've to gotta pick your brain about it. So um, speaking of rights and responsibilities, uh, you know, it's been in the news a lot, just the, the, the legal ongoing legal, legal battles over generative AI. So whether it's, you know, the output from chat GPT <sighs> images from companies like, you know, mid journey, uh, Dolly, right. Just what's, what's your hot take? Like what's, what's going to happen with, with all these legal battles? I know we can't, you know, it's, it's so much gray area and it's probably going to go on for a long time, but big picture, what's going to go on in this fight over, you know, content created by these different AI systems? Well, I think a lot of folks don't understand how they work. Uh, (laughs) So that uh, drives them to certain assumptions that probably aren't true. And those assumptions then uh, drive their their vision of who should pay who. Um, Mm. They don't understand, at least with the generative AI models that are using transformers, um, they don't understand that Essentially, it's um, a probability game that, that they're playing as to, hey, if I type X many tokens or X many words, if I type X many words, it's going to suggest here's what the next word should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, images is kind of a variation of that where it's, you know, what, what should the next pixel be, if you will, to achieve a certain goal. Um, and that's a probabilistic guess that they have on their part. Um, obviously, the more they can understand what preceded the blank spot that they're supposed to fill in, you know, the better they'll do. If I said, uh, you know, eating and you, you'd fill out who knows what, you know, cereal. Uh, if I gave you the phrase in advance, uh, it was dinner time. So he was eating. Well, then you wouldn't say cereal, right? <laughs> oh, I would. Gosh, I small, small tidbit. I eat cereal. I used to eat cereal probably about two to three times a week for dinner. So my, my chat bot would be telling the truth on that. Exactly. Right. So this actually gets to user generated content as well. Right. Because, uh-huh. you know, if we trained on all your content, it would say cereal afterwards, but odds are low actually that uh, you searched <laughs> at your neighbor's houses, that that would be the main item on the table. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, let's imagine you wrote a great book about your life and it was, uh, you know, every page of the book, you described how you ate cereal for dinner. Um, great. That content's <laughs> out there. Imagine that, that uh, you know, work is put out on the internet in some publicly available manner. A GPT type engine mm-hmm. sucked it down and it'll have, you know, one little data point that says one guy somewhere. Uh, you know, for him, we fill in the word cereal when it come, when presented with the phrase what people that Ask what people ate for dinner. But, you know, if you went and grabbed the blogs of all of your neighbors, you'd get a far lower incidence of cereal coming Mm -hmm. out there. So it's going to say, statistically, what should I put out there? And statistics say, no, it's not cereal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a a good point. That's a good point. Statistically, I guess I'm I'm weird in that regard. Um, Hey, as a reminder, if you're joining live, we have uh, Neil Peretz, the head of legal uh, for WooCommerce. Um, so 
Neil, like we talked about at the top of the show, you know, the parent company automatic um, owns a lot of, a lot of different companies, but you know, WordPress, uh, Tumblr, you know, so, so the parent company has so much ownership of just everything that's out there on the internet. And again, I invite people, if you have questions for Neil, please, please get them in now. So, so we can throw them up, but (laughs) how it just, to me, I mean, should, should like, is this something that you guys are talking about internally? Is this something that you wrestle with just ownership of content given um, that, you know, automatic and WooCommerce and WordPress own, you know, own quote um, so much of the end content, or I guess the users who are generating it own it, but is this just a conversation that you guys are, are tackling with internally? And, and where do you think this discussion will eventually land? Yeah, it's a conversation we have a lot internally in the legal team. And then it's a conversation that we have a lot externally uh, where there are content creators who speak with us. Our mission is to empower the content creators. Um, so in the case of WordPress.com, people have content up there that they're targeting in various manners. It could be through um, a blog that actually maybe is co-branded by us because it's our, one of our lower cost plans, or it could be something that we're just behind the scenes. Um, and so if those folks want reach, which they usually do, that's why you're publishing publicly like that. Um, then our, our job is to help them get reach. Um, sure. And part of getting reach is actually being able to be consumed by machines of various sorts. You know, if we step back, uh, just think about search engines, right? Odds are high, if you wanted your content to be found, you would like to have your page indexed by a search engine. That means that you'd be more likely to be found by others, you know, seeking out information on uh, people with, I don't know, green sock fetishes or something like that, if that's what your blog is about. Um, so you would like to be indexed by a search engine. And so we have various setups where uh, we try to facilitate people's content being consumable. And that includes being consumable by automated sources because people want that. And that historically has been how you, for example, end up being indexed on a search engine, um, the most likely way. Um, we have had people query, is there a way to shut that off? And to some extent, we don't control that because these crawlers, or now they think of them as scrapers that uh, go out and gather content, um, they don't necessarily knock on the door and ask um, and, and say, hey, WordPress, will you go invite me in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're out there grabbing all sorts of publicly available content. Um, now, if they get the content through some type of machine-to-machine feed, well, you know, it's a little bit easier, but really they're, they're set up to go consume content um, with, what I, I don't if you if you ever heard the phrase headless browser, yep. um, but that's essentially what they use. They're using a headless browser that, by headless, it means that they're they're not actually looking at anything visually. Um, they're just saying, "Give me the HTML code, and I'll I'll kind of decipher it myself." Um, and it's a lot easier if you could just suck down code and you don't have to wait for it to render on your screen. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they'll go around and do that. You know, suck down code, suck down code, suck down code. But to the person running the website, it just, yeah, so the browser showed up. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the end user sees or doesn't see. So if it's a headless browser, just something else showed up. Now there's, yep. there's clues, what types of browsers are out there, et cetera. And you can do other things to try to manipulate your site to foil the machines if you really wanted to. Um, <laughs> right. But generally, uh, if you're a publisher and your goal was to put out content, make it publicly available, that's our job is to help you do that mm-hmm. at, at WordPress.com. And then, you know, similarly at, at Woo, we, we power more stores than anyone else on the Internet. Uh, not all of them are hosted by 
by automatic, by the way, yep. uh, because we was open source software as well. But we, we do run WooCommerce.com and there are many, many stores uh, that we host. And people like folks to know that their store is out there and exists and, and can be found. Yeah. Uh, so they want to be an influencer. Correct. Uh, if, if you will. Um, so generally, if people's job is to make themselves publicly available, we're there to facilitate that. Now, then they'd get this question of saying, what if people don't want to be found for mm-hmm. some reason by machines? They're okay with you know, being on the public internet. Or you know, if they're behind a, a paywall of a sort where there's exclusive access, we have options and we have tools to enable people to do that. Um, ranging from the traditional, uh, you, know, you can buy a certain tier of access on my website to actually the way, even the Web3 options, like token gating. If folks mm-hmm. want to get all excited about Web3, we can say, fine, you can token gate your website. Um, because we have the biggest partnership ecosystem of really anyone who puts out either stores for Woo or, or websites or WordPress of other plugins you can get, some of which are many, 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 which tens of thousands of which are available from third parties that work with us. Right. Uh, so every which way you want to slice and dice your website for access, yeah, it's available yeah. For, for WordPress and Woo. Yeah. Um, and that'll bring keep, a- that would keep a scraper out potentially. <laughs> Right. But you, you, you do bring up a very important uh, point um, because, you know, you mentioned, you know, even just like WordPress, right? Like I've used WordPress for, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. I love it. You know, but, you know, even WordPress right now, they, they have their, um, I believe it's the Jetpack AI assistant, right? That helps yep, you, exactly. uh, you, you know, generate AI, um, kind of AI content. And, you know, this goes to Andy's question here, like who in the end, or is there even an answer to this right now? If you use generative AI, whether it's the, you know, WordPress Jetpack Assistant or mm-hmm. ChatGPT, who has rights to the output? Is there an answer? Yeah, Andy's question is a good one. So part of what we started on the conversation of saying, if I already have content, um, what do we do about, you know, it being scraped? Mm-hmm. Um, and and what's, what are some WordPress considerations on that? Andy's comment is, uh, then if I, if I use, I think his question is, if I use AI to generate some content, who owns that? Mm-hmm. Um, which actually gets into uh, the recent Thaler decision and other decisions about that, which is that generally the courts have found that if, you, if I want to own something, one way to own it is through copyright law. And um, copyright basically gives you the right to uh, decide who gets to copy something. Yeah. Now, there are, there are some exceptions to it um, for fair use, um, where things can be copied against your permission uh, for cer- in certain circumstances. But you know, generally, if you own the copyright on something, you can control um, how it's reproduced. So uh, the recent uh, Thaler decision was one in which someone had a machine, said, my machine came up with all this cool art by itself. And uh, the court said, well, you can't file a copyright on that. Um, and generally, the our doctrine in the United States is that copyright is something created by a human. Mm-hmm. So if it was created only by a machine without very much human input to guide it, um, what you're going to find is you can't copyright it. And it's essentially kind of a public domain offering out there. Um, if there was some substantial human input there, then you'd say, hey, it was kind of like, uh, you know, I, I used the computer as a tool. Mm-hmm. And there was another recent um, decision. I think this was on, it was a recent copyright decision about a, a series of comic books that were had art in them. And there were some basic prompts that were given, and then the art whoop, popped out. Uh, and the court decided, no, that, uh, or I think it was maybe this, the copyright office decided, 
Now you can't get a, a copyright on those because there wasn't really much human effort uh, to create it. Versus, let's say, Photoshop, right? Photoshop is using mm-hmm. software as well, but there's a lot more guidance that the human provides. Um, and stuff that comes out of your Photoshop, yeah, you can still go, go have a copyright on that. Now, another type of ownership right you could have is trademark. With a trademark, it doesn't really matter where it was generated. It matters what use you put it to. Sure. So trade, trademark is protecting something else. So I could have something completely computer generated, no problem. If I file a trademark on it, I could own it in that setting, the class for which my trademark applies. Hey, this is Jordan, the host of Everyday AI. I've spent more than a thousand hours inside ChatGPT and I'm sharing all of my secrets in our free Prime Prompt Polish ChatGPT course that's only available to loyal listeners like you. Here's what Lindy, who works as an educational consultant, said about the PPP course. I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting the results from ChatGPT that I needed and wanted. And after taking the PPP course, I now realize that I was not priming correctly. So I will be heading back into ChatGPT right now to practice my priming, prompting, and polishing. Everyone's prompting wrong, and the PPP course fixes that. If you want access, go to podppp.com. Again, that's podppp.com. Sign up for the free course and start putting ChatGPT to work for you. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like, you know, there's more gray area than not. Right. Because even as an example, if someone says, oh, I used, you know, a chat GPT or a generative AI tool to start this, but then I, as the human continued, because in theory, there's really not easy way to prove what, you know, I, I I talk about, you know, these AI Uh. content detectors all the time that don't work. So, so, I mean, is, is, is this just going to always be something that always ends up in the legal system since there is no definitive way to say, oh, yes, this came from a generative AI system versus this was human well, generated? Probably if you want to have your content be uh, impervious to challenges, you'd keep track of the fact of your human effort that you put into it somehow. And then sure. you have someone accuses you of saying, no, the computer just did all that. You did nothing. Um, and um, who knows? Maybe we'll end up with humans out there whose job is to add value by moving around some words. I think that's SEO uh, industry in general, right? Yeah. You go in there, you, you move around some words. I add a value, um, right? And so that, that'll get to the question of, from the court of, well, how, how much value did you add? What, how much value do you need to add uh, to have be a human work? Or, or yeah. is it just the, the human part of it that is the copyrightable portion? Yeah. And um, I'm going to, so we, we have a question here from uh, Sarhash. I'm going to, I'm going to tweak it a little. He's kind of more asking if we create content using multiple blogs and provide with genuine references to the content, can we end up in legal issues? And again, this show isn't legal advice, but I'm going to tweak this a bit because I think it is an interesting question. Um, Should, when people are publishing content, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Google has, has recently uh, kind of released this synth ID that kind of watermarks, um, you know, images but should publishing companies or even individuals, if they are using kind of copy verbatim from a generative AI, should they be saying so? Um, I mean, what's, what's kind of your, your, your thoughts on that? Well, there's a few different questions built in there. So one is um, <laughs> yeah. generally if it's someone else's work and I reproduce part of it, uh, you know, regardless of whether it was AI generated or not, mm-hmm. um, is that okay? 
Um, and the answer is, well, of course, this is, I'm a lawyer, so I'd have to say it depends. Ha <laughs> ha. Of course. Um, so uh, it depends on the context in which you, you're reproducing it. But generally, there's this idea that you could go reproduce or manipulate copyrighted works of others for certain purposes. And that's considered uh, the, the term is fair use, at least in U.S. jurisprudence. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, a famous case in this regard is, is involved Google Books, sued by the Authors Guild. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you go to Google Books, there's a lot, a lot of books in there. And the way they got all the books in there is they went and grabbed all the books and scanned them all in. Um, and one would assuredly think, yes, the books are copyrighted. Yeah, they're they're published books that you pay money for. Um, and in the end, the court said, well, um, it's okay, um, despite the fact that they're reproducing all these books, because mm-hmm. a you're only reproducing a snippet of the book. Um, and B, you're actually adding new value, which is you've now rendered the whole book searchable and findable by those on the Internet. Sure. And that's good. That's an added value. You've uh, essentially provided a transformative use. It's your, your use of it isn't just, oh, I can read the whole book because you can't. Um, your use of it is now a content finding engine. And that really mm-hmm. does add a lot of value for you know, consumers of books. Um, so in that context, yeah, they can copy entire books. But wow. how they deployed it, it was a transformative use. It could be, you know, other transformative uses could be, you know, parody of a sort, right? Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. It's hard to make a parody if you can't reproduce what you're, or at least a subset of what you're parodying. Uh, so we wouldn't have parody if you could say, nope, you can't mention me. How do you make a yeah. joke about something you can't mention? Uh, that's yeah. another example. So uh, smaller amounts of content, content you're talking about, sure, you could probably reproduce it. There's probably... Uh, uh, a fair use argument to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> of course, the, the the specifics matter. You could either go check with a lawyer or at least just do some reading about fair use and what are the components of fair use. So you could think about that for your content. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> that, that that was you know generally uh, the case with you know using other people's content. I think was there a subset of AI question about that though? Yeah. Um, you know, real. Uh, real quick here, just as we as we kind of wrap up, because we've you know we've been top to bottom here. We've we've talked your background. We've talked you know some of the AI uh, AI powered companies that you've built. Uh, we've talked about general copyright, but um, I'm going to do this, you know, because everyone's always looking for free legal advice. I'm not going to you know <laughs> have you have you give free legal advice, but um, what is your stance if someone is wondering um, should I be using generative AI? Uh, to, to produce content on the internet. What is kind of some, some general guidance and best practices or recommendations that you might give to people so they can still be creative and put great content out for others to consume, but uh, it, using generative AI tools, but right. to still kind of, uh, you know, not have to tiptoe that, eh, could I get sued line? What's, what's the best practice or recommendations? And, and actually this dovetails with the second part of, the, of Saharsh's question, which was, he said, uh, you know, should I should I note something, you know, that uh, it was some of the content might be AI generated out there. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that that is the preferred approach, at least for professional companies creating content. Um, there are certain laws that are now starting to say if it's AI generated, you should go say so mm-hmm. uh, and, and essentially give people a warning. Um, and that actually, to some extent, could protect you <laughs> because yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. You probably had it on prior episodes. AI isn't always correct. Yeah, it lies. <laughs> uh, it makes stuff up. 
Yeah. Um, it, completely. Uh, I've had it. I've experienced it myself as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Right? I've had it suggest things that don't exist, laws that don't exist, cases that don't exist. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so um, if you put in the warning that it's generated by AI, and especially if it's not been fact-checked by you, yeah, that's mm-hmm. probably a good thing for you to go put on there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that gets the question of how do I use AI? So number one is, yeah, you might want to tell people wh- when and where you used AI. Alternatively, you need a human workflow behind the scenes that verifies things. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if there's any type of factual assertion, for example, you'd want to go verify it. Otherwise, people will assume you said it mm-hmm. uh, and you'll be held responsible for the misstatements of something that the AI came up with. Um, yeah. so, so that's part of it for using content. Um, otherwise, I, I think you could assume that uh, you probably can't get a copyright if AI generated a whole cloth. Um, so if you want to get a copyright and you did part of the work, you'd want to go keep track of that and document it um, for yourself. Um, and the challenge of this is we talked about probabilities and what the machine comes up with. Um, the machine can come up with the same result for many other people. If I have a magic machine that makes images, there's not a guarantee that it's not going to make the same image for everyone else. So I don't even necessarily even have a lot of uniqueness when I rely solely on that. Um, yeah. And some people really want that. They want something that is uniquely theirs to, to go protect. So you kind of integrate the AI with your other creative process, and then maybe you'll have something more unique, more ownable um, would be the way to go. Neil, you've, you've helped walk us through uh, everything from uh, you know, your background to how to safely create content. Uh, tackled some questions. Can't thank you enough for uh, taking time out of your busy day and early day uh, to join the show. So thank you. Thank you again so much for joining us. It's fun. Thanks, Jordan. There's a lot more to talk about in any one of those uh, topics there. Oh gosh, I know we could go hours, right? So, hey, if you're listening on the podcast, check the show notes. If you're joining live, make sure to check out our daily newsletter that we put out each day. Neil just dished a lot of information. We're going to recap it all in the newsletter. So make sure to go to your everydayai.com. Sign up for that. Neil, thank you again for joining us. And we hope to see everyone back again for another episode of Everyday AI. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Jordan. Love the newsletter. Thanks. And that's a wrap for today's edition of Everyday AI. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating. It helps keep us going. For a little more AI magic, visit youreverydayai.com and sign up to our daily newsletter so you don't get left behind. Go break some barriers and we'll see you next time.